It's election day in Iran, and between the pandemic, intense economic sanctions, runaway inflation, and international isolation, the stakes are high. For many, though, the question is not who to vote for, but whether to vote at all. I used to vote. I voted for Rouhani four years ago. But this time around, I will not vote. I just voted once for the Islamic Republic. Then I saw that all their promises are lies. How can I vote when I see prices have multiplied while I earn nothing? The frontrunner is Ibrahim Raisi, a conservative and the chief of the judiciary. And his path to the presidency seems clear. Last month, his strongest challengers were disqualified from running. Iran's ruling clerics have been accused of paving the way for the 60-year-old chief justice to succeed President Hassan Rouhani. The winner of this election will lead Iran through the next stage of its sanctions saga, as negotiations to restore the nuclear deal continue. So who is Ibrahim Raisi? And how much does this election mean for the future of Iran? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The last time I talked to Al Jazeera reporter Maziar Mutamadi was in February, soon after U.S. President Joe Biden had taken office. We caught up again ahead of Election Day, and our interview was during another contest, a qualifier match for the World Cup. Iran won. During halftime, though, the election was front and center with a message from retired athletes. Turn out the vote. Iranians definitely love their football, and I'm sure millions of people were watching, and I don't think it's surprising that State TV chose that time to encourage people to go to vote. Uh, This happens during every cycle to an extent, but I think it's definitely increased this time. So, of course, the State TV is pulling out all the stops and doing everything it can to encourage people to go to vote. What has the mood been like in the lead-up to the election? Overall, at least compared to other elections, uh, the buzz seems to be much more quiet. There are campaign posters and there have been rallies, although more limited because of the coronavirus. There's not much excitement going on. It was obvious that this election was not going to have the highest turnout because not many candidates were in the race to begin with. There's a general air of apathy and indifference going on, and it was to be expected, I think. Maziar said the mood this year is low-key, especially compared to when Raisi ran in the last election in 2017 against Hassan Rouhani, the now outgoing president. Rouhani is limited to two terms, so he can't run again. Last time, there was a clear race between Mr. Raisi and Rouhani, and both promised different things. For Rouhani, he was carrying on with his work with the nuclear deal and the promises that entailed and improving the economy. But on the other hand, there was Mr. Raisi who criticized the nuclear deal, opposed it, and said that Mr. Rouhani made too many concessions and that the U.S. could not be trusted. So it was a very clear choice with very clear repercussions. People felt like their vote had a direct impact, that they were empowering Mr. Rouhani to carry on with the nuclear deal and improve ties with the West and the global community. 
Maziar says that was reflected in the 2017 election. Turnout was over 70% and Rouhani won in a landslide. This year, Maziar says, the change in enthusiasm was also reflected in the debates. In 2017, the debates were very fiery, very emotional, and they wouldn't just hurl insults. It was real gritty and they would really would point out the main issues that the people wanted to know. And the debates themselves really had an impact on getting people out there to vote. And we saw that in the 73% turnout rate. But this time, the debates didn't have much substance. None of the candidates were that attractive and offered a whole package that could really get the people's hopes up for the future again. Raisi received nearly 16 million votes when he lost in the last election. Turnout in this one could be so low that it's an open question if he received that many votes to win. Raisi's candidacy in 2017 was his first foray into electoral politics, but he's been part of Iran's legal system for decades. He was born in Mashhad, which is a religious city and a prominent city for Shiite Muslims. He studied in the seminaries with a lot of uh, prominent clerics, including the Ayatollah Khamenei and others. He rose quickly through the ranks, and following the Iran-Iraq War of the 1980s, he's alleged to have served on a judicial panel that sentenced many political prisoners to death. He's never addressed those reports. As a judge, Raisi condemned political prisoners to death mass executions during the late 1980s. Raisi was placed on U.S. sanctions lists over his role in the killings. In 2016, after various stints in Iran's judiciary, Raisi became the head of an important charitable foundation based in Mashhad, Raisi's home city. He managed billions of dollars in assets and connected with major figures in Iran's religious and political scenes. In 2017, he became a presidential candidate and ran against President Rouhani, but failed. And then in 2019, he reinvented himself as the chief justice. And since then, he's been big on corruption. He's been holding public trials. And that theme has carried on through his campaign as well. Here's Raisi speaking about the importance of anti-corruption. I see myself as a rival to corruption, inefficiency, and aristocracy. I am not a rival to political factions and this or that group. I am the rival of inefficiency. There was a key moment in the election several weeks ago when Iran's Guardian Council disqualified many of the other potential candidates The Guardian Council whittled the 592 contenders down to just seven. Their selection gave the green light to conservatives and blocked the path to three political heavyweights. The announcement of approved candidates has surprised not just reformists and pragmatists here, but also to a degree uh, the conservatives. What is the Guardian Council and what happened there? The Guardian Council is a constitutional vetting body. It's a 12-member body. Half of them are directly appointed by the Supreme Leader, and he has indirect influence over the other half as they are appointed by the head of the judiciary. The Guardian Council is very powerful. It's an ultra-conservative body that qualifies 
or disqualifies candidates for elections and has other constitutional powers like approving or denying legislation passed by the parliament or requesting changes in them. And its role was very prominent in this election cycle because it disqualified reformist and moderate candidates. From that point, it was very obvious that nobody could challenge Mr. Raisi truly in the election. Nobody had the support for it. Maziar says there was a lot of speculation as to why these candidates were disqualified. The Guardian Council doesn't announce its reasoning or how members vote on candidates. A prime example has been Ali Lairjani, who's a, an advisor to the Supreme Leader and a former three-time parliament speaker. He was regarded as the person who could mount the biggest challenge to Mr. Raisi. There was speculation that Larajani was disqualified because of reports about his daughter's foreign ties, which would have gone against a security directive for political officials if they were true. They turned out not to be. And even Iran's highest authority, Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei, weighed in. The Supreme Leader himself made a speech and said that some candidates were wronged, and then he demanded the Guardian Council rectify the situation. There is a necessary warning, which I wish to mention. This is a religious and human obligation. That warning is, during the vetting process, those whose eligibility was not confirmed were treated unfairly. But I think it was very interesting that this, uh, the Guardian Council said it didn't make a mistake and it didn't make a decision based on false reports, as the Supreme Leader was saying and as it was being reported in the media. The Guardian Council doubled down and said, no, we didn't disqualify him just based on that. And Lajani has been adamant since. He's been publicly saying, okay, just tell me why I was disqualified publicly. And the Guardian Council is refusing even that. So what has public reaction been like to these disqualifications? What are voters that you've talked to saying? A lot of people weren't very excited about this election even before that happened. But after that happened, it was very apparent that the Guardian Council and the hardline and conservative factions were going to do what they were going to do. And they weren't going to pay attention to how exactly this is going to affect everything, whether it's going to affect legitimacy, both for this government and the establishment itself. Voter turnout is of high importance to the establishment here, the lowest voter turnout they had in this country since the revolution of 1979 was around 50%. With Raisi facing no strong challenger on the ballot, voter turnout is expected to be low. A survey conducted by the Iranian Students Polling Agency showed only 37% of eligible voters intend to cast ballots. So it definitely didn't help anything. A lot of the people who were on the fence decided not to vote. And it definitely reinforced this feeling of not being able to meaningfully impact the future of the country through your vote. Because normally on that very limited list, at least there are a couple of candidates who you could maybe partially root for or completely root for. And this time, this wasn't the case for many people. And what issues are people concerned with? What issues would those who are voting be voting on? 
I think many Iranians would definitely want more um, social freedoms, less internet censorship, and those issues that have been going on for years. But the economy right now is much more urgent and it's been faltering under sanctions and the coronavirus and local mismanagement. Not many job opportunities, especially for young, educated people. Iran has tens of millions of young, under 35 educated people who can't easily find a job. The economy has really plummeted in this country. The unemployment rate is at an all-time high. The real has lost over 80% of its value. This was the worst year, in my opinion. Not just for me, but for most people. This was the worst year. So these are a lot of intertwined, deeply rooted infrastructural issues that need to be resolved. As the election campaign was taking place, so were talks on reviving the 2015 nuclear deal, also known by its acronym JCPOA. A sixth round has gotten underway in Vienna. In Iran, opinions vary about the agreement, including Raisi's. A former opponent of the deal, he had a different tune during this campaign. It was, I think, very clear that most of the candidates didn't want to talk about sanctions and the JCPOA at all. And I think at least partly it was because the Supreme Leader said that foreign policy is not a priority for the people. So I think that was a message that the establishment has that handled. You guys focus on the people and their very immediate concerns. But obviously, because the sanctions are a root cause of a lot of problems right now, it definitely had to come up, and it did. Raisi was asked by another candidate during the debate about the deal, and this was his response. I say this honestly. We view the JCPOA as an agreement with nine articles that the Supreme Leader has approved. We will stay committed to the accord as an agreement and a commitment, just like any deal which administrations have to be committed to. But the accord needs to be implemented by a powerful government. He said he believes that rectifying the situation would need a strong government, and that is definitely not the government of outgoing President Hassan Rouhani. So he's saying, okay, I agree that this is essential and we need to lift sanctions, but I know how to do it better. So Hassan Rouhani isn't running in this election because he's only allowed to serve two terms. But he has made statements calling for greater competition in the elections and emphasizing the importance of the ballot box. And it's not just Rouhani. There are conservatives who are also making similar statements. So what's behind that viewpoint? I think it's, again, the fact that this whole disqualification was very overt and there was no hiding it and uh, everybody could see it. The Rouhani government has definitely been sounding out the alarms. They've been saying that this is going to hurt turnout. And in turn, not only is it going to hurt the legitimacy of the next government, but the establishment as a whole. Here's President Rouhani in May. The essence in the heart of an election is competition. If you take this essence away from the process, it becomes a lifeless corpse. It fails. So, it's vital. 
There needs to be intense rivalry to make it a viable election. But there has been no uh, actual change, and that was to be expected, I think. With those disqualifications, there was no going back because that would hurt the legitimacy of the Guardian Council if it were to go back just days before the election. But so many unusual things have happened in this election that the resistance of the government perhaps doesn't even come up as a big surprise. And yes, even some conservative forces criticized the Guardian Council and this whole election cycle, even Mr. Raisi himself. So there's really no going around it. There's no hiding it. Very specific candidates were uh, approved for a reason. And it just seemed from the beginning that Mr. Raisi was being primed to win this election at any cost. It's hard not to contrast this situation with the beginning of Rouhani's presidency. His first term was the era of the nuclear deal. A political moderate had taken office. There was enthusiasm. There was optimism on the streets about the economy. How would you say that this time is different? And why has it changed so much? Definitely there's no sign of all that excitement and all the hope back then. The effects of the lifting of sanctions hadn't come into force completely, but there was something there, people could see it, people could feel it, and it brought a lot of hope with it for the future that could be more inclusive. And usually when there's an opening like that, it also leads to other openings in social freedoms. And conversely, when it doesn't work out, it also leads to more restrictions at home. Don't forget, Iran was a very wealthy nation, and now they're a very poor nation. And the terrorist organizations, they're not fighting like they used to. You know why they have no money? Because Iran is bust. Iran is bust because of me, because of sanctions and other things. So when Mr. Trump left the deal, he did definitely hurt the economy, but he also empowered the hardliners here And we saw that in the parliamentary election last year, too. And with this election, it was the same thing. There was no clear choice between two very different candidates who were offering two different tangible things. It's just everybody now saying, we'll fix the economy. We know your problems. And they sure do point out the problems well. But it's unclear how exactly they're going to fix this situation because there's no clear uh, solution at sight here. Are you more optimistic than the last time we talked? Um, Not particularly. I remain hopeful for the nuclear deal, and I'm glad that it seems that the nuclear deal is now very much a state policy. And I think you could see that in the fact that Raisi also said he supports the deal. I think it's going to be a very lengthy and complicated process, But I'm hopeful that it will happen. And if it happens and the sanctions are lifted, that will be just the start of a very long road of very deep-rooted economical problems that have been going on for decades. Maziar said the general feeling in Iran is not optimism, but waiting. 
just waiting to see whether this next government can make a change. And I really hope it can do it because the people really need it. And I don't think this situation can go on for a very long time with this high inflation and incomes not rising. It's much more of an apathetic feeling, but I guess a lot of people are still hoping against hope too because there's limits for what you can take, I think. And that's The Take. If you want to listen to our other coverage on Iran, including the impact of sanctions on people's lives, you can check it out in the description of this episode. Today's episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Priyanka Tilve, Nagin Auliai, Dina Kispe, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is our editor. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back.